Um, before we dive into the main um, message, though, you know, like when you watch TV or you watch Netflix or whatever, there's always a short recap at the beginning, right? I think that's important because it, uh, the book of Mark is a story. It's a narrative. So we need to know where we are in the story in order to know where we're going. So the recap is, what is the book about? I think um, Pastor Ken, um, Peter, they've all been emphasizing this. The Gospel of Mark actually tells us in the first verse, very first verse, in the very first chapter, what the book is all about. The book is about the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so um, the main question that we're asking in this book is, you should know this by now, but maybe you don't. The main question is, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Now, if Jesus is the main subject, the main thesis is found in chapter 1, verse 14. When Jesus begins teaching, he announces this message. The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. The gospel of Mark's primary concern is to reveal to us who Jesus is and how that relates to the kingdom of God. So, so far in the chapters leading up to chapter 4, which is the chapter I will be focusing on, we have been presented with two markedly different responses to Jesus. First, from the masses and the disciples, we find an undeniable attraction to Jesus because of his powerful teaching, his powerful actions, and his potential to be the Messiah the one who will save the Jewish people from their oppression under the Roman Empire, and the one who will restore their hopes and dreams as a people, the one who will restore their proper identity. And on the other hand, we see from the religious leaders, the Pharisees, we find a rejection of Jesus as of the devil, as endangering the established religious system and order of the day. Jesus cannot possibly be the Messiah if he doesn't care about observing the Torah and their religious laws, the very hallmark of Jewish identity. And so as Jesus grew in popularity, drawing crowds wherever he went, we find him begin to teach in parables. Our focus this morning will be on the first of these parables, the parable of the sower. But first, what exactly is a parable? Parables is simply the catch-all term used to describe the stories that Jesus told. They usually involve imagery found in regular village life, so farming, you know, all these fishing, all these imageries, and they encompass several forms. They would include longer stories, which is the one we'll do today, but they also included short proverbial wisdom sayings, and always included some kind of image or metaphor. The mundaneness of the images, however, conceal deeper, more profound truths that need to be explained. That's why Jesus' use of the parables, just as his popularity was growing, is very puzzling. Why does Jesus want to teach in such an enigmatic manner? Let's keep that question in mind as we read our passage this morning in Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to 25. 
Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to 25. Again, Jesus began to, to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and set, set it out on the lake. While he sat in it, oh, sorry, set it out in the lake while the, all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching said, listen, a farmer went out to sow the seed, and he was scattering the seed. Some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly. Oh, sorry. My eyes are going on me. Sorry. <laughs> and the Bible I chose to bring today was so small in the text. I should have brought my big letter one. Um, sorry, where am I? Uh, some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up, choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60, or even 100 times. Then Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. When he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows this word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seeds sown in rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop 30, 60, or even 100 times what was sown. He said to them, do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And even more, whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away. So um, this morning when I came in, Eric came up to me and said, um, do you have any slides, you know, uh, PowerPoint? I go, no, not really. Um, and he goes, well, that's good for me, but usually people have slides. And actually, you know, I normally don't do slides, but actually for this morning, it's actually quite appropriate. Because, you know, when Jesus was teaching, they didn't have slides back then. And he actually just spoke, right? And people just listened. 
In our day and age, though, it's a bit more of a challenge because we're much more of a visual society, right? Now, and, and you know, our attention spans are getting shorter and shorter because there's so much rich content. So I know it's hard for you to just listen to me talking, <laughs> but I, I'm asking you to actually make the effort this morning because there's a few key phrases Jesus keeps repeating that has to do with uh, our ears, right? So I'm going to point them out to you, and it's quite relevant to the parable. Jesus begins in verse 3. Notice the first word he ever says, and quite emphatically, he says, listen. So I'm asking you to listen, right? Listen. In verse 9, he gives this quite, you know, uh, curious statement, he, and he keeps repeating it, actually. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. In verse 23, he repeats that challenge, kind of slightly alters it, and says, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And finally, in verse 24, he admonishes his hearers to consider carefully what you hear. So, I mean, my not having slides actually work out to my favor this morning because you're actually supposed to be listening carefully, considering, using your ears. Why does Jesus bother with parables? Jesus teaches in parables because he wants to force his hearers to listen well, to pay careful attention. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. At home in the morning, we have this kind of routine that we always have. I'm not a morning person, and Dwight always wakes up before I do. Dwight's my husband. Um, so he'll wake up although he hasn't been doing that so often lately, but he wakes up early, usually. And so his task in the morning is to get the kids out of bed, make sure they've changed, and then put their breakfast on the table and make sure that they eat. I come out at about 7.40 or so. The kids' school starts at 8.30. And then, you know, I'm half awake, and then I'll trudge to the kitchen, open the fridge, and get the lunches and snacks ready. Uh, during this time, my kids usually know I don't like to be talk to <laughs> but they usually still talk to me but you know my routine my routine is to just to get the stuff ready because I'm trying to get them out the door but I always kind of will look up and say Evan start eating your breakfast and then I'll start doing it again and then I'll look up again and say Derek did you brush your teeth and he'll go oh and then he'll go to the bathroom and brush, brush his teeth and then I'll keep doing the breakfast and go like Evan have another bite you know I'll do that about five ten sixty times maybe in the morning <laughs> And then finally, they'll be done, and I'll say, okay, go, did you put the lotion on? And go, oops, and then, okay, let's go, we're time to go to school. But you know, my biggest frustration is that I have to repeat myself 50, 60, 1,000 times, and it's always the same thing. So they have ears, they hear my words, but they do not listen, they're not listening. And how do I know that? Because the action I'm looking for is not happening, right? And so it's kind of the same in our, in our parable today. Jesus is saying, everyone has ears. And unless you are deaf, you should be able to hear what he is saying. But the sense of hearing that Jesus is talking about here is not like the one my kids give me, right? Not just, I hear the words. What he's looking for is a kind of active kind of listening, using your whole body, your whole senses. It involves everything about you. 
It's to carefully consider, to carefully attend to what is being said so that you can understand and act accordingly. So Jesus wants his hearers to struggle with the parable, to make the necessary connection between the parables and their lives. So it's precisely because the parables have this ability to conceal as well as to reveal that they're such powerful tools. Parables are meant to move the hearers from asking, who is Jesus, to asking, how am I to respond? So parables have the ability to lay bare one's heart and challenges its hearers to accept, like in the case of the disciples, or reject, like in the case of the Pharisees, the good news of Jesus. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. As Jesus' popularity grew, more and more people now follow him, but out of a variety of reasons. So perhaps some are following Jesus out of curiosity. Who is this new teacher everyone is talking about? Some because they want what Jesus offers, healing, new insight, excitement perhaps. Yet others like the Pharisees follow him to confirm their suspicions that he is a dangerous fraud that needs to be eliminated. For Jesus to choose to tell parables just at the time of his soaring popularity shows that Jesus is not looking for groupies. He doesn't need fans. What he seeks are true disciples who will be like the plant that comes up from the seed planted on good soil, who will produce a crop 30, 60, or even 100 times what was sown. The parables were thus meant to confront Jesus' followers and weed out those who were not willing to take up the cross of discipleship. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Through the parable of the sower, Jesus reveals that the path of discipleship is not meant to be an easy one. The parable shows that there are many challenges and obstacles to real repentance and true faith. First, there is the real and active enemy in the person of Satan, as it is illustrated in the seed that falls on the path and is eaten by the birds. Verse 15 states that the birds refer to Satan's work of snatching the word away before it even enters the soil. In the West, we have a reticence to speak of Satan or even to acknowledge his existence. Devil talk feels backward, unsophisticated, scientifically ignorant. So the West, I think, has all but forgotten Satan. The parable of the sower reminds us, however, that even though the kingdom of God has broken into history, Satan is still at work in the world, and Jesus' disciples are meant to be on guard against him. He must not be ignored, even though his defeat is an eternal certainty. Listen to verses 21 to 23 again. Jesus said to them, do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on the stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears, let him hear. When Jesus spoke these words, the kingdom of God was very much still a hidden reality. Jesus himself had not allowed the people he healed or the ones that he, you know, the, that he expelled the demons from to actually announce who he was. 
And in this section, where Jesus starts teaching the parables, the truths of the kingdom of God become shrouded in even more mystery, even more concealment. No, the kingdom of God has not arrived in its full glory, but it has broken into our world, Jesus assures his disciples, and it is advancing, and it will one day be brought out fully into the open. It will be like the seed that grows on its own and produces a harvest. This is the next parable, the parable of the growing seed. It will be like the mustard seed, which starts out small but grows into the largest of all garden plants. That is the promise of the kingdom of God. But in the meantime, the devil is still at work and must be guarded against. Even as the kingdom of God grows into its fullness, apart from human strength and wisdom. It seems to me then there are two extremes that we need to avoid when it comes to Satan. First, we must not simply dismiss him as a hoax, but neither can we attribute every bad thing to his work. I remember in high school there were these series, uh, the series from Frank Peretti that became quite popular when I was in the Philippines. It was a book that was about kind of, uh, I think it was called This Present Darkness. There was a whole bunch of them. And in those stories, you probably haven't read any of them, but in those stories, there's people that were sort of engaged in spiritual battle, and all of the problems arise from little devils, like the devil of gossip, the devil of lies, the devil of you know, deceit, the devil of greed. So everything that happens that people do wrong are caused by the devil. So that's one extreme, right? Like, Satan is not nowhere, but neither is he everywhere. He is somewhere working, though, so Jesus' followers must be on guard and must be prepared against him. How aware are you of the spiritual battle taking place in your life? Do you give the devil too much or too little power? Are you allowing the devil a foothold in your life by listening to his lies? Are you making it easy for the devil to snatch your faith away? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Another kingdom truth that the parable of the sower reveals to us is that true faith needs deep roots. That was the flaw of the second plant, the one from the seed that fell along the rocky places without much soil. This plant grew but ultimately withered when the sun of trouble and persecution came along. Trouble and persecution because of one's faith will find its way to Jesus' disciples. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Now, this is a hard truth to accept because we often like to focus on this, the things the Bible says about God's desire to give us an abundant life, God's desire to give us joy and peace, which is all true. But what Jesus' what Jesus's disciples need to understand, however, is that these gifts of love, of joy, peace, abundance in life are offered in the midst of trouble and persecution, not in the absence of. All too often, Jesus' disciples succumb to the temptation of wanting above all things happiness, stability, security, comfort, and peace. Peace understood as lack of conflict. I hear this in myself as I offer prayers in the midst of conflict. Often my prayers ask for the obstacles to be removed 
or the conflict to be resolved quickly so that things can go back to normal, which I equate in my mind as a stable, comfortable, peaceful life. Instead, I realize what I should be praying for is the courage to stand firm and to weather the storm faithfully. What I should be praying for is to ask to see how God is at work in this situation and to see how he is working in my life and in the world around me in the midst of trouble and persecution. If the goal is not to immediately end this conflict, what is God doing in my life and in the world? And how does he want me to respond? How can my faith be energized, reaffirmed, and grown in this situation? The instinct is to run away but the path of discipleship oftentimes calls for flourishing in spite of the trouble or persecution. The disciples of Jesus ought not to be surprised, therefore, when trouble or persecution comes. What is your attitude toward trouble and persecution? Do you try to avoid them at all costs? Or are you willing to accept that true discipleship involves walking the path of sacrificial service? Jesus' audience was not expecting God to establish his reign in a manner that involved failure as well as success. But as the parable of the sower shows, suffering is part and parcel of true discipleship. Are you ready to embrace that reality and lean into the times of trouble and persecution that will inevitably come your way, knowing our Lord promises to walk with you and strengthen you every step of the way. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. The third truth the parable of the sower reveals is that inner temptations also threaten the fruitfulness of Jesus' disciples. This is illustrated by the plant from the seed that falls on the thorny soil. The plant that grows in that environment ends up being choked by the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things and is rendered unfruitful. Let me just focus on one part of this, on worry, as it seems particularly relevant in light of the pandemic. As I was Googling, I found that there was a poll done in July 2020. In that poll, 36% of US adults reported difficulty sleeping. 32% reported eating problems. 12% reported an increase in alcohol consumption and substance use, and 12% reported worsening chronic conditions, which they all attributed to worry and stress over COVID-19. Anxious voices have filled our minds and our hearts during these pandemic days. Will we let these anxious thoughts choke our faith? Or will you listen to another voice Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they, O you of little faith? But seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. 
Will you let worry choke your faith? Or will you trust God's promise that he knows what you need and he will provide? Maybe not today, but he will provide. The key to conquering worry is not by focusing on it. The key to conquering worry is by turning our attention away from it towards the kingdom of God. Will you seek first the kingdom of God instead of drowning in your worries? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Who is Jesus? How am I to respond to him? The parables inevitably draw us into its world. It places us squarely in the story. In the parable of the sower, we are forced to ask, which plant are we? The one that grows and yields a bountiful crop? Or are we allowing the devil, trouble, persecution, worry, or the lure of wealth and power to steer us away from the path of true discipleship? Among Jesus' followers, there is a group to whom Jesus gave the secret to the kingdom of God. They were the ones who stayed behind while the majority of the crowd left. Those people, together with the disciples, constituted Jesus' inside group. So it's not that the disciples were favored by Jesus with the secrets of the kingdom. Rather, Jesus gave the secret to those who made the effort to know more and to ask questions. The secret was given to those who wanted to know what the parable meant. If you read verse 10, it is clear. It says, it's the disciples and the people around Jesus that Jesus gives the secrets of the kingdom to. Those on the outside, on the other hand, are those who left. Those on the outside are those who already made up their mind that Jesus cannot be trusted, like some of the Pharisees. Those on the outside are those who couldn't be bothered to wrestle with the parables. They're too confusing. Those on the outside are those who have stopped their ears so much they can no longer hear the good news of the gospel. That is why for those on the outside, Jesus declares, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven, but they have lived their lives in such a way that their ears have been stopped and they cannot, can no longer turn and be forgiven. The temptation for us who call ourselves Christians is that we become smug and complacent because we think we're already part of this inside group. We're already privy to the secrets of the kingdom of God. So there's nothing I need to worry about. The Gospel of Mark, however, warns against such smugness. Throughout this book, as you read it, as we continue in this series, you will find that the disciples are consistently shown to be quite dull when it comes to perceiving the truth of God. Despite spending the most time with Jesus, they constantly prove themselves unable to grasp the truth of the kingdom of God and teeter in their faith in the days leading up to and after Jesus' crucifixion on the cross. In the Gospel of Mark, the lines between those on the inside and those on the outside of the kingdom are not so easily drawn. The main difference, it seems, though, is that the inside group listens carefully to Jesus, while the outside group has stopped their ears so much they can no longer hear the message. 
Those on the inside are constantly wrestling with the truths of the kingdom. Those on the inside are constantly repenting, constantly examining themselves, constantly self-critiquing, endeavoring so as to be planted firmly on the good soil and to yield a crop 30, 60, or even 100 times what was sown. Are you? I leave you with the word Jesus speaks in the end of this section in verses 24 to 25 from the New Living Translation. Pay close attention to what you hear. The closer you listen, the more understanding you will be given. And you will receive even more. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. <laughs>